0: Pop culture playbook. Welcome to a new episode. So I recorded this long episode before Game Four of the Bucks and Heat series. Jimmy Butler just scored fifty-six points off nineteen of twenty-eight shooting, three for eight from the three-point line, and fifteen for eighteen from the free throw line. No other teammate scored more than fifteen points, and the Miami Heat won one nineteen to one fourteen to take a three to one lead. In the first round of the Eastern Conference Playoffs. This is probably the most impressive Miami Heat performance since LeBron Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2013 against the Celtics. LeBron had 45 on 73% field goal percentage. um, Just did everything. Willed Miami Heat to win. Obviously, you know the rest of the story. But... This right here might be more impressive. Yes, the circumstances are different, not facing elimination, yes, he's up 2-1, but number one overall seed Milwaukee is in your home and you have the chance to go up 3-1, but they're back at full strength. And it takes a triple-double from Giannis, 36 from Brooke Lopez, Middleton had a decent game, and they still couldn't win. Miami is a team that, you know, people thought, once it comes playoff time, they might flip a switch, but. Seeing Miami take a 3-1 lead right now is as impressive as ever. They have a solid grip on what Milwaukee is doing, what they're running. They're making Giannis facilitate. And, you know, Eric Spoelstra just is dialing up the right stuff. Milwaukee's in a bad place right now. If Milwaukee loses in five or loses in six, it's going to be a very interesting offseason for them. This series just flipped on its head. Jimmy Butler 56 points. One of the best playoff performances I've ever seen. It just goes to show that when he's on and he's locked in, he is definitely a top 10 player in this league. When it comes to the playoffs, he's probably a top five player active right now. So my name is Cameron Scales. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, look for more pop culture playbook content to be out soon. Thank you. Pop culture playbook. Welcome back to another episode. It is Monday, April 24th. I'm your host, Cameron Scales. It's lovely to be back with you guys. Today, we have a shorter slate of NBA games on Suns. Have the Clippers down 3 1. Obviously, Kawhi has not been playing. He's been out the past two games with the sore right knee. They're calling it a knee sprain. But what I believe it is, is something that the Clippers knew would. What could possibly be a problem later on With when they gave him that extension all the way back in October, which was, you know, yes, he is doing this load management thing all season. He hasn't been playing back to backs. Some nights he's not even traveling with the team. And now, with the slots that they're in in the postseason, because LeBron James gets the primetime slots, the Clippers now have to play these back to backs even after. Uh, travel. Not back-to-back days, but uh, one day of rest in between a playoff game in which he's playing almost 40 minutes. It's something quiet hasn't done all year. His body hasn't been used to it. Um, You saw in the first two games that he was dominant. It looked like the Clippers were going to be able to just kind of expose the Suns for their lack of depth and that Kawhi was gonna just spearhead all of that. And even without Paul George, you figured that you know Kawhi was gonna figure out how to get it done. He doesn't, Devin Booker has erupted in this series, KD has been KD. The bright spot in this series for the Clippers though has been Russell Westbrook. And we'll get into him real quick. Um, not only has he been playing great defense, but his jumper has been falling, he's been getting to the basket. And what you see right now with Russell is the version of him that everybody pretty much had known him to be before he got to the Lakers. And this is basically the Russell that the Lakers wanted to get. For obvious reasons, his play style wasn't going to fit with AD and LeBron. Um, I just think they were the last people to find out. The Lakers didn't really give him any confidence. The Lakers fans didn't let Russell breathe after, you know, a struggle or, you know, a bad week. And it turned into what it did. And, you know, he didn't move cities and get a new, a different opportunity. He went right across the hallway and got a different opportunity that he's been longing for for the past two seasons. And now he's flourishing. Will Russell be able to keep the Clippers from uh, losing in five games? I don't know. This series is heading back to Phoenix. So um, it'll be a, it'll be a tough challenge. I think it's been nice for all the Russell Westbrook fans out there to see this resurrection. He deserves it. And not only does he deserve it, I think that it's a bright spot and something good to see in the future uh, for whatever team he's on. Whether that's going to be a winning team, I don't know. Whether that's a team that's just kind of in the middle of the pack and will let Russ get his 20 shots of a game, you know, let him turn the ball over a little bit and you know, kind of play like the free player that he is, we'll see. But the Clippers being down their best two players, Zubac isn't playing the best. You have Plumlee coming in and playing all right. Trey Mann's been a good spot for them. They just don't have enough. And even a team like the Suns who, you know, don't have the much as much depth, they are playing Devin Booker and KD a lot of minutes. Devin Booker right now is averaging 43.5 minutes a game. KD is right now, he is averaging 43.8 minutes a game. So both of these guys are putting a lot of miles on their legs in the first round against the Clippers team that is short. They just short their best two players. So that is one thing. To look for this next round is whoever they match up against, the minutes that they're going to be playing. Because right now, Devin Booker is averaging 30, almost 35 a game, shooting 50 percent, 90 percent from the line. KD's averaging just under 30 percent, shooting 51 and a half percent, shooting 90 percent from the line. So these guys are doing their job. You know, they complement each other so well. I think there's nights where KD is going to take the alpha role, and I think there's nights that Devin Booker is going to take the alpha role. Chris Paul is able to play off of both, and I think that's. The ideal situation that he needs to be in with his current physical status and, you know, his injury history and just him in the playoffs not being able to get over that hump. I think he needs two guys now to kind of carry the load. There will be a game when CP has to come in and score 20, 25 points, take a little bit more shots. But, you know, Chris Paul, it, the role that he's in right now is the role that he deserves to be in, but also needs to be in. Um, Suns son, and. Clippers, I expect to be done in five, but um, if the Clippers do push it to six, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't see Kawhi coming back anytime this series. Um, maybe an improbable game from Westbrook or just a total team effort. I don't know, but I expect the Suns to get it done and to wrap it up. Let's head over to Kings and Warriors, probably the most exciting series uh, so far. So if you watch game four, it came down to a wide open Harrison Barnes buzzer beating three pointer, which did not go in and allowed the Warriors to tie up these series, which is ironic because if anybody remembers back in 2016, the really I mean, Draymond suspension didn't help Kyrie and LeBron going for 40 apiece in game five doesn't help him. But Harrison Barnes could not hit a shot to save his life. And if he just hits. 30% of the open shots that he had the Warriors probably went in 5 or 6 games. That's how big of a swing that was. And which is even funnier because in the first game or game 2 of this series in Sacramento, I want to say Harrison Barnes dunked on Klay Thompson twice. And what it looked like was Harrison Barnes was going to was going to kind of get his revenge from basically the Warriors blaming him for that loss, and I'm not saying that they blamed him. There's other things that happened. Guys played out of their mind. Guys got suspended. But that's been in the back of the Warriors' mind that you know they could have possibly won that second one and gone back to back, and not even have needed Kevin Durant. And so things like that are what swing the NBA in totally different directions. So without Harrison Barnes missing all those shots, who knows if the Warriors even get or even need to get Kevin Durant? But I digress. So. De'Aaron Fox has been unbelievable in this series. The Clutch Player of the Year, um, he's been getting to the rim. Nobody on the Warriors can stay in front of him. Uh, Sabonis has been playing well. But I think what's happening now is now that De'Aaron Fox, which just came out today, that he has a broken index finger on his left hand, which, you know, obviously he's a dominant left-hand guy. Shoots it left, dunks it left, lays it left a lot. And uses that floater really well with the left hand. And so, with him having a broken finger, I don't think he's going to play. And that's going to put a lot of the, it's going to put a lot of carrying on Sabonis's back. And the problem is, is I think now after the suspension, Draymond Green stomping on Sabonis's chest, if you watched in game four, Draymond has a big block on Sabonis as he falls down. Draymond yells as he stands over him. And it was kind of just an indication of, okay, Mm This is the Draymond we're getting for the rest of the series. He's now playing with a chip on his shoulder and his enemy number one is now Sabonis. And now Sabonis without his right hand man, we're gonna have to see Sabonis go for probably 20 and 20 to win because they're going back to Sacramento, yes, but without their best player, the Warriors now have a chance on the road. The Warriors have been abysmal on the road all year. I think if they do get past this first round, it's gonna be their Achilles heel in the next round because the team they play is just gonna be too good. Um, Steph Curry's been playing lights out. He's 31 and a half uh, points a game, um, only 3.8 assists a game. And I think that's the Stephen Curry that we're going to probably have to see going forward for the Warriors to win. Obviously, Steph Curry's an amazing passer. He's such a good shooter that it allows him to be an amazing passer. And his teammates being great shooters allows him to trust, you know, to throw out a double teams or If he does see some different actions that he can kick it to somebody and they can score. Jordan Poole has been very up and down. I expect Jordan Poole to be the guy that kind of, you know, when things are going good, he's going to be playing really well and it's going to look great. But if things are going bad and they have to rely on him to really make a play, I just don't know if that is there yet for him. I think that if they had some better pieces under the rim. I know Kayvon Looney's been playing his ass off. He's been rebounding really well, but Jordan Poole is a guy who likes to really dribble and he doesn't, you know, his catch and shoot game is good, but he really wants to attack off the pick and roll and he wants to dribble. So if he's doing that while Steph Curry's not on the floor, I think that's a problem because his space shrinkens up a little bit. And I think if Stephen Curry is on the floor, did Jordan Poole just simply shouldn't be coming off screens that much. not saying he shouldn't at all, but this is the playoffs. You don't have time to be just wasting possessions on, you know, somebody who could dribble off their foot or throw it away or try to make a spectacular play every single time they touch it. Um, Klay Thompson has been um, steady. I think he's getting back to his, you know, old form offensively. I think defensively he's just not going to be at that level that a lot of people – You know, are used to seeing him at years past just being, you know, a really, really good two-way player. I'm not saying he's, you know, a negative on defense now, but he's not staying in front of the elite guys. And so him not being able to stay in front of the elite guys puts that pressure on Andrew Wiggins, who I think is able to handle it. But, you know, you're going to have to play your bench a little bit. And if you're not playing... Um, certain guys like Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga is not playing as much. You're going to rely on somebody like Gary Payton, who offensively, if him and Draymond on the floor at the same time, you know, what do you really have? So Kings Warriors is tied at two going back to Sacramento without De'Aaron Fox potentially. I think that's a game that the Warriors have to steal on the road and come back home in game six and finish it out because if that series goes seven, the Warriors will not be winning. 76ers and Nets don't really have that much um, on that series other than it was a good clean sweep by the 76ers. This version of James Harden that we are getting, um, it's worrisome for me only because, yes, it's not the James Harden that we're used to, but this James Harden just seems to be... He just seems to be day by day and game by game with what his energy is going to be and what his offensive output is going to be. Because, you know, the defense is not really there. He kind of just stands around. He just doesn't move his feet. Simply, if you watch James Harden play defense and why people knock him on defense, it's just because he doesn't move his feet. He doesn't even need to really seem to try. And so offensively, you know, his handle is still tight, but he's not breaking down and blowing past people and throwing lobs or hitting a step back every single time. It's not an automatic bucket every single time. He's taking more twos than you probably have known James Harden to take, but his game has just kind of taken a dip. And in the playoffs, when you kind of need that extra burst, it just seems like he doesn't have it. I'm not saying, you know, he averaged 20 and 10 this year, which – by any other metric besides this year, would be amazing. I know the scoring is inflated. Some of the assists are inflated. But by any every other metric, James Harden had a fantastic year. Joel Embiid is probably going to win MVP. Um, his antics with kicking people and James Harden hitting people below the belt, I just think that's yeah. such a it, – it really only happens in the playoffs, but it, it's such a weird thing that can happen in the game where your emotions take over. And I don't know what it is with guys that want to – you know, inflict that on other people, Um, whatever the case may be, Joel needs to be smarter next series. James needs to be smarter next series, because if it happens again, it could possibly cost them a whole game. The Nets, on the other hand, um, obviously Mikael Bridges was a bright spot for them all season, that he was there. Cam Johnson, he's going to be a free agent this summer, but I think that he um, showed his value. I think that the Nets want to bring him back, and they should. Um, he's going to be demanding a lot. But I think a player like Cam Johnson is somebody who, as they get just a little bit older, they're only going to get better. I don't think that he's maxed out. Mikhail Bridges is a max guy. I think he's proved that, which is something that even a season ago, I don't think a lot of people would even have thought of. Um, his just the array of shots that he can hit, I think it surprised a lot of people. Surprised me even. Um, his ball handling is better than people think. And he plays all 82 games. I mean, how could you not How could you not like that about somebody? I know the NBA is, you know, next year in their CBA, they got guys playing a minimum of 65 games. And there's jokes that, oh, Mikael Bridges is going to be second team, first team all NBA because he played all the games. Well, availability is the best availability. And... If you're injury free and you're available and they can count on you, I think that speaks for something. I think you can't take that away from somebody because they might not be as good as the other person. Well, yeah, they might not be as good, but they're on the floor every night. That 23 to 25 is coming every single game versus, you know, 30, you know, once a week. So that's not to knock anybody, but, you know, somebody who's played all 82 games, I think you just got to give them that nod. I think there should be an award for it for every single guy who plays all 82 games with a certain amount of minutes that you know need to be required. I think there should be an award for every single player, whether that's a money bonus. If you play all 82 games and you play however many thousands of minutes, I think you should get a million dollars at the end of the year. That's just me. As far as the Nets future, I don't really know. The Nets had a losing record uh, post KD and Kyrie leaving, um, KD and Kyrie really put put the Nets in a good spot, keeping them at that number six seed all season. Shout out to them, I guess. But uh, after they moved on, you kind of just tell that the Nets slowly but slowly were kind of just trickling into you know lower, you know, below mediocre, below average team. Knicks and Cavs, let's go to this one. So On Twitter the other day, I tweeted out Jalen Brunson is the best 26-year-old in the world. And I got most of the replies I got were pictures of Jalen Brown and um, Devin Booker. People showing me their age. And I get it. Devin Booker is an all-star. Devin Booker is a superstar. Jalen Brown is an all-star. Jalen Brown can be a superstar, potentially. Here's my thing. Jalen Brunson is doing something under the pressure of being a Nick that just hasn't been done in years. I know Julius Randle is a bright spot for them. I know Julius Randle, you know, is an all-star and he's revitalized a lot of what they have going on. Coach Tibbs has, you know, retooled that whole team and got them to play defense. And they've got guys like Obi Toppin, who people just thought were a dumper. They've turned him into an athletic rebounder who can also hit wide open jump shots. Emmanuel Quickly, was up for six men of the year. They've got Isaiah Hardenstein, who's a Rim protecting center, Mitchell Robinson, who has emerged as somebody who everybody thought that he was going to be. RJ Barrett has been a bright spot at home, at least. And so you've put together this team, but Jalen Brunson has not only turned into the best player, but the heart and soul of this team and of this franchise. You could just tell how the fans react to when he scores, when he makes plays. It's that. You know, when the Knicks have a really good point guard and he's their best player on the team and he scores and he just makes all the right plays. And he's just this mature, tough, just minded guy that, you know, New Yorkers love. It just all formulates into the perfect formula. And I think Jalen Brunson right now holds the title for the best 26 year old in the world. And we'll see next round what happens. I do expect the Knicks to take out the Cavs in six games. I don't think it'll happen in five. I think Cleveland will go home in game five and will win. Donovan Mitchell will have a good game. We will get to him in a second. Back to Jalen Brunson. The kid's been, or well, the guy's been, he was the number one player in the 2015 class. He won a national championship at Villanova. No, he didn't. wasn't one and done, but he went and he won. He got to the NBA and has been, has been good ever since he got into the NBA. Yes, he was playing second fiddle to Luka Doncic, but so would everybody else in the league besides maybe five guys. And it was a mistake for Dallas to let him go. And then he got to New York and people thought that New York might have overpaid him by maybe $20 million. And now he looks like he's underpaid by about $50 million. So shout out to Jalen Brunson. Um, Keep doing your thing. Love watching him play. Steady lefty. um, Not knocking him off his spot. He's going to get to his spot. He's going to play off the pick and roll really well. He's going to pass it well, shoot smart shots. And he just, you know, he's just a steady, really good player. And I think he's going to be really good in the league for a long time. Um, Donovan Mitchell did not have a good game in game four. I believe he only had one made field goal in the second half entirely. Um, Donovan Mitchell is one of the best playoff scorers of all time. You know, that sounds weird to say. He hasn't been in the league for, what, five or six years. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell is is up there as one of those guys in the postseason where, you know, he's a threat to score 30 or 35 a game. And the New York crowd got to him. And I think that, you know, what is an interesting subplot in this whole series is that the Knicks actually wanted Donovan Mitchell first and they got Jalen Brunson as a consolation prize. And now you have these two going head to head in the series. I think the crowd knows that even though they did want Donovan Mitchell, that they think, okay, now we got the right guy. We got the guy that we should have gotten all along. Our guy is now better than your guy. And we're in New York. You guys are in Cleveland. Like you guys haven't done shit since LeBron left. And you know, Donovan Mitchell has kind of been the brightest spot since LeBron left our organization. But, you know, the Cavs are here and They're down 3-1 to the Knicks and it's unfamiliar territory uh, for Donovan Mitchell and for Julius Randle. So we're going to see how they how they respond with their best against the wall. They're going to have a game at home to prove that, you know, they can score because this game, these games have been very low scoring. The defense has ratcheted up both sides. Um, And my key takeaway from this series will probably be. The Cavs decision on what they do with playing two bigs in the future. I know they signed Jared Allen to a lot of money and they're going to sign Evan Mobley to a lot, too. But can these guys in playoff games, can they be effective on the floor if they both are not going to shoot? It leaves a lot up to Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and then either Karis LeVert or Jetty Osmond or somebody else to have to score 15 to 20 points a game. Because if you're not getting anything from Mobley besides defense, which is fine in rebounding, you're not getting any jump shots or three pointers from either one of them, especially not Jared Allen. And so if one of them gets in foul trouble and they're both in foul trouble, what does that small ball five look like? What does that small ball lineup look like? Can it work in the playoffs? Yeah, I'm sure in the regular season, you roll the ball up against the Hornets and you're down three guys to begin the game. Sure, it'll work. But now you're in a series where everybody's tendencies are on the table everybody's everybody's scheme and schematics are all on the table. And so now you have to figure out a plan on if you guys lose in five games to the Knicks in the first round, all eyes are pretty much going to turn into your lineup questions because Donovan Mitchell is probably going to be first team all NBA. Darius Garland ain't going anywhere. Karis LeVert is a good spot. You know, they gave Kevin Love away. They probably could have used him now, but that roster, they're going to have to make some changes and, and maybe a trade might have to come, somebody who can use uh, Jared Allen, because I guarantee you, Evan Mobley ain't going anywhere. Once he figures out that, j- that jump shot, it can get real scary as far as the forward position and who is in that top five class. Um, RJ Barrett is playing very well. He's been playing well at home. A lot of confidence from that New York crowd. They've been hyping him up. They've been really supporting him. It's good to see him playing well. Um, he's a guy that I always thought, should be a little bit better. I think he's still a little too left hand dominant. I think if he would could just get better with his right hand, that it would just make him such a more effective player. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that if he can hone into this third scoring option role for the Knicks and really take it upon himself to be aggressive and, and let you know, let the game come to you, but be aggressive, take those shots that you know that you know that you could take. I think it does the Knicks better off because if he's playing with more energy, then he's going to be playing well on defense and everybody else is. Now, Julius Randle, on the other hand, uh, Tibbs benched him, and I know he was upset about it. I know he was a little bit foul trouble early. He was struggling. Um, and honestly, you can kind of tell what game you're getting from Julius in the first five to 10 minutes if he's going to be found and walking around lazy and not really giving much effort on offense. You can kind of tell that that's the kind of game it's going to be for him um, all night. But when he's up and he's hitting shots early and he's banging the offensive glass and he's getting putbacks and he's getting and ones, getting to the free throw line, you could tell Julius is is locked in for a 25-10 and game. But in the playoffs, you don't have time for that. You don't have time for guys to be up and down or – take these, you know, shots they want to take because the ball finally found them. No, we need the best five guys out here at all time. And if that means one guy's playing dog shit tired, then I guess that guy has to play dog shit tired because we're not putting Julius Randle in for some bullshit when we can get good minutes out of Mitchell Robinson and Hardenstein and these other guys are hitting shots. Josh Hart has been an amazing addition to them since the trade deadline. I think he's... One of the players that it kind of he's like the glue guy. He's the glue guy for the Knicks. There is no if he is the glue guy for the Knicks. He is a great offensive rebounder. He comes up clutch. He's going to he's going to hit shots. I don't you know, I see he's been struggling a little bit shooting the ball from three point line. He's got a lot of good open looks. I think they're going to fall. And he's a guy that not only plays well at home, he also plays really well on the road. So let's get to Celtics Hawks. Celtics, I feel like, are the team to be in the East. Jason Tatum doesn't look like he left off anywhere. It looks like Jason Tatum has taken that next step as in, you know what? I got to the finals a certain way, but I know I can be better. So this is what I'm going to do. And yes, Jason Tatum is not going to score 35 a game every game, but he's showing up. He's playing defense. He's handling the ball. He's playmaking really well. And he's got his sidekick, Jalen Brown, right next to him to pick him up anytime he slacks just a little bit. Now Jalen Brown's got this huge cut in his finger on his right hand. And I don't know if it's super severe or not, but it's something to look at as the series goes on because, um, the Celtics can afford to have him hurt. I know Derek White has been really good. Derek White has been averaging, well, he's been shooting 58% from two, 52% from three. And, um, And that's on six attempts per game. And he's shooting almost 90% from the line. So Derek White, you know, that's ball 13 times a game. So he's been their X factor. I believe he will be their X factor going on the road and at home. I think Derek White is a threat to show up and score 15, 20 points. Um, The Hawks have had to basically resort into leaving Marcus Smart wide open for jump shots. Now, you're not, you might say that Marcus Smart isn't the greatest three-point shooter, but if you are if you have to leave him wide open or not close out on him to crash the glass, that's a problem. And I think the Hawks have run into this problem all year where they're just, you know, they should be a better team defensively, but they have Trey Young or they have somebody that comes in that is just not as athletic. DeJounte Murray is always going to be good on defense. Clint Capella is going to be a rim protector. DeAndre Hunter, who... Is a good wing defender. Um, if he shows up on offense, then that's a, it's good for the Hawks. But the Hawks just don't have enough to compete in this series. I think when the Hawks got down 2-0, well, I think everybody kind of just l- looked into the immediate future of, okay, what does this Hawks team look like if they have to trade Trey Young? And that's been kind of the basically the rumor that's circled around in the playoffs ever since it started. There was a huge article that came out about teams being interested in Trey in, uh, Young, him and the head coach aren't getting along and, you know, they've been trying to move him off the ball. And it's just been an interesting year for Trey Young because last year he shot 38% from three, but coming into the NBA, Trey Young was basically what Caitlin Clark is now is basically what, basically what Trey Young was at Oklahoma. And he led the nation in points, led the nation in assists, just like Caitlin Clark did and was pulling up from 30, 35 feet, and needed to be double teamed almost as soon as he stepped across half court. And Trey Young has gotten into the NBA in his first couple of seasons. He would take those 30-foot shots, those 40-foot shots. They'd go in and they'd miss. But it's different when you're in college versus the NBA. Your teammates in college who can't say shit to you because you're going to be a top five pick. They can't tell you not to take that 30-foot shot with 16, 17 seconds left on the shot clock or 15 seconds left. But in the NBA... If you take that shot, it's your teammates going to curse you out. Your coach is going to curse you out. The teammates, your teammates are on the bench are going to look at you funny or be cursing you or pull you aside and be like, hey, we're not doing that shit. And I think that's kind of crept into his head a little bit because if you watch Trey Young, he doesn't take those dare three-pointers anymore. Shit, he really doesn't even take that many threes for somebody who came into the league as this three-point marksman. Um, A lot of people, if you watch Trey Young, you probably want him to take more. You want him to be a little bit more aggressive behind the three-point line. But, you know, as time has gone on and the success that they had, that's just not how you're going to win basketball games. And I only got to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years ago, but it was fool's gold for them. And ever since, they've been trying to build a roster around Trey Young, and it just hasn't worked. John Collins has been on the trade, trade block for, what, three or four years now. Clint Capella is serviceable when he gets the ball. DeAndre Hunter is nowhere to be found some games. And then you have other guys, Bogdanovich, who's a good playoff player, but, you know, he's in and out of the scoring. And they just don't have enough to compete with the Celtics at all. All right, we will leave the Lakers and Grizzlies for last. Let's get to the Nuggets and Wolves. Anthony Edwards is who we thought he was coming into the league. I think he's going to be even better than what people thought. His jumper has made massive improvements. Obviously, his defensive um, intensity has gone up a notch. I think that if he is this type of defender all season next year, you can put him on all defensive teams because he's going to he's gonna block your shot. He'll grab it, rebound it, go coast-to-coast, dunk it, shoot a three-pointer. He just is the total athletic package right now. At 21, 22 years old, I don't see a reason where Anthony Edwards slows down at all. The only thing that would to hinder Anthony Edwards anymore is if he continues to kind of gain weight as he gets older. I think he's a naturally big, muscular dude, but at the same time, I think he has the ability to kind of put on pounds. I think he came in this year at 6'4", 6'5", however tall he is, almost at 235, 240 pounds, and that's just not the shape you're going to be able to be effective in as the season goes on. So I want to say shout out to Anthony Edwards because He's playing great. He's not really getting much help from Cat, not getting much help from Gobert, but we expected that. If you just think back to – because we spoke on Donovan Mitchell, um, a lot of the reports would come out and say that he just simply doesn't want to throw Rudy Gobert the ball. And you might have thought Donovan Mitchell was being selfish, but as Donovan Mitchell – or as Rudy Gobert has come over to Minnesota, you see that the same problems – still occur. When Rudy Gobert touches the ball or he catches it, you don't know what to expect unless it's in the restricted area, then it'll be a dunk or it'll be a layup. Anything other than that, he's bound to travel. He's bound to throw it over somebody's head. If he puts the ball on the floor, it's just like, good Lord, somebody just get the ball out of his hands as fast as you can. And I just don't see a way where in two years from now with how the NBA is going to look, how he's even a serviceable player and he's going to be making $60 million. So the Wolves have are going to have a hell of a time figuring out what they're going to do to improve their roster this summer. They're going to be very handicapped with that contract. The decision with Car Anthony towns decision with Anthony Edwards at some point. It's going to be very hard to reconstruct that roster without having to trade somebody that you don't want to to get some value back from all the value that you lost from the pick with Gobert. Last Game or last series we will get to is Lakers and Grizzlies. To me, this has been a classic LeBron series where he loses in game one, and then the rest of the series he kind of just figures out his opponent. The Grizzlies without Brandon Clark and um, Stephen Adams, it's just tough for them to. It's tough for them to to beat Anthony Davis inside because now all you have is Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and other guys that have just kind of been fitting around and giving you serviceable, giving you serviceable time. Now, Dylan Brooks, who has been kind of stirring the pot a little bit with LeBron, calling him old, saying he won't respect LeBron until he puts forty on him. This and that. Well, mind you, Dylan Brooks is only shooting thirty-two percent from the field, under twenty-five percent from the three-point line. And he just has been a really like just a really bad spot for the Grizzlies this round. I know John Morant was out one game. When John Morant comes back, the Lakers are up 35 to 9 at half. Ja goes for 22 straight in the fourth quarter, but that felt more like the Lakers kind of just ease off the gas pedal. And they still won by eleven. The Lakers have another home game. Um crypto arena has been really rocking. It's nice to see a postseason. Um, In L.A., it's been the first one in L.A. since the pandemic. So just really nice to feel that Lakers energy. A.D. has been amazing defensively. He's averaging um, like 3.7 blocks a game. He has 15 blocks in his first four games. Just been absolutely dominant. I think in game one he had about seven blocks. LeBron still hasn't had his monster game, but has been kind of cruising around 25, 28 points a game. Um, and shooting the ball off the catch and shoot uh pretty well, actually shooting it at a rate that I would like to see him shoot it even more at. I think he defenders give him too much space on his on a closeout. I think he could shoot over everybody and there's not a shot LeBron hasn't taken. So why not take it? Austin Reeves continues to be Austin Reeves. Honestly, coming out of Oklahoma, he was a good basketball player. He was a bucket and When he went undrafted, it surprised me because there's guys that go late in the second round that people are kind of just throwing their hands up at and they're like, oh, he might be good. He's not good now, but he could be good in three years. And you never hear from him because he goes back overseas and he stays. So Austin Reeves, who will definitely get a good extension this summer, has been playing really well. Not only does he play well uh, with the ball in his hands, he plays well off the ball. He's a good rebounder. He plays very instinctively on defense. And he's just uh, one of those role players that Le- like a LeBron team really, really always needs. It's that third or fourth scoring option that can kind of explode for 25 in a night. And if Austin Reeves can do that in the playoffs, that's just a huge bet. Um, obviously, LeBron and AD, if they stay healthy throughout the playoffs, I expect them to get to the Western Conference Finals. But this isn't a Grizzlies team that's just going to roll over. Down 2-1. I think if they do get down 3-1, there's no way they lose in five. But I do expect the Grizzlies to put up a really good fight in this game four. Um, Wouldn't be surprised if they tied it. It would probably take a miraculous effort from John Morant. Desmond Bain has been playing well. Um, I think he's a little bit better than what people think. I think he plays with the ball better than people think. He shoots the two-pointer. Better than people think. And he can get to the rim. I know he's got shorter arms. He's kind of a a different build than what people are used to seeing, but he gets the job done and he's a very, very impressive player to watch. And it is fun watching him. At all, let me get into the Bucks and Heat. So Miami taking game one was a surprise. Um even after Giannis got hurt. Giannis took a bad fall, hurts his back. That's something that a tall player, it's just not an injury that you're gonna be able to get around. Jimmy Butler has been amazing. Whenever it's the playoffs, you count on Jimmy Butler to be that guy. Now that Tyler Hero is out, Duncan Robinson has had to been re- resurrected from a coma. It seems like you just is, you never see him playing anymore. But if they can find a way to get him to make two or three threes a game, that's scary for the for the Heat because Kevin Love is hitting shots, Gabe Vincent is hitting shots, Max Strus is hitting shots, and Jimmy Butler is going to be there. And so. Combine all of that in a, the heat culture, and you got Eric Spolster coaching. You just can never count them out. Now, as far as the Bucks, they are the highest shooting three point team in the league. Um, they take the most attempts, and obviously, all that is centered around Giannis being the son and, and you know him getting into the paint and dishing, or him getting into the paint, getting to the free throw line. Um, Pat Connaughton shooting shots. Drew Holiday. Uh, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, they have so many weapons. Grayson Allen, they have so many, so many weapons that they yeah, they should be a lock to get in the Eastern Conference Finals potentially, but when a guy like Giannis gets hurt, it just screws up everything. It makes Brooke Lopez seem like you know not the defender that he was in the regular season. Drew Holiday has to take more shots and step up on defense. Chris Middleton, who has been pretty good for them, he was okay for them in the regular season, he now is expected to score 25 points. And so, Everything just changes when you lose a guy in the playoffs at, you know, as Giannis, because Giannis is 30 and 12 and is going to play really good defense and add a couple blocks, a couple steals and is going to change guys' minds and the pain. He's always going to play hard. And so um, with the Giannis injury, a lot of people were talking about abolishing the charge and all this. I think if you sit and watch basketball and say that the charge will should be taken out of the game, you just don't know what you're watching. And that's my opinion on that. But Miami and Milwaukee is a is an interesting series. I do think it goes seven games. I think Miami is going to max out in round one. I think Milwaukee wins that series in seven. And they do win in seven because they're playing the last game at home. And I think Giannis will be back and will be healthy. But I'm not surprised that the Heat are, are where they're at. I think the Heat this summer are going are gonna to get a free agent and they're really going to be back in that top three to four uh, conversation, whether that's Dame Lillard or somebody else. I don't know, but count on Miami to um, really pick up some steam in this offseason for a number of free agents. All right, that'll do it for my first round of the NBA playoffs. I will be back talking with you guys um, either at the end of round one. Or in the middle of round two when things get a little bit more clear and we have a bigger idea on who will be getting to the conference finals. Um, I'm in a new little spot in my apartment in this little office space. Um, Like I said, prior episodes, I still am looking for guests. Um, Don't be offended if I haven't asked you to be on my show. And I only say that because if you're going to come on my show, I want whatever message you have or whatever you have to say, or just the opinions that you have on whatever, I want that to reach the amount of people that you want it to reach organically. I don't want you to have to come on here and say some outlandish shit so hopefully it can blow up on Instagram or TikTok, whatever. I want you to come in here, have a genuine conversation with me, whether that's sports, politics, or just pop culture, whatever the case may be, we can sit down and have a chat about it. But I appreciate y'all listening. little over 38 minutes in. Uh, My name is Cameron Scales, this is Pop Culture Playbook, and I am out.